Tell us a little bit about um, you. You know when you're doing your first deal, how how was how was the partnership look like, right? Because because it's it's uh, easier than said to you know just put you know some people together. I mean, there got to be some sort of, some sort of discussion, you know, and agreement, right? Because it, it's mm-hmm. not as easy as it sounds, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, nothing is as easy as it sounds, right? If it is, everybody would be doing it. Uh, but the, the truth is, uh, the truth is, is that everything takes a lot of work. So if everything is going to take a lot of work, you might as well work on the things that are most valuable, which is why I'm in this business. But having said that, um, just to kind of walk you through the first deal that, that we did is that I met with TJ and, you know, he liked me, I liked him. And the reason behind that is, and we met multiple times before we ever did our first deal. The reason behind that is you want to make sure that the people you're dealing with have the same alignment in terms of values, in terms of goals, because if they don't have the same values as you, even if they have a skill set that could help you, you don't want to work with those people. All right. It's like if I if I'm in the business and my focus is I want to provide the best customer service to all of our investors. I want to make sure they get treated like royalty. I want to make sure that our primary focus is to get them the highest return possible. And if I'm working with someone whose entire focus is, listen, I don't care about the investors. I just want to get as much money. Then we're not going to align in how we make decisions. And that will lead to a disaster. Right. So, so you have to make sure that they align on the core values and you want to have these discussions openly. I mean, I think it's, it's better to have these hard discussions up front and decide if you want to work with people up front rather than, you know, do a deal with them and then later on find out that they're not the right person. They're not compatible with you because then that will turn into a nightmare. So, so that's how I did it. And when I first started is I met with many people and then sometimes I wrote down their name and I thought, look, this might be a person I want to do business with. But then after I meet with them and I discuss, you know, what they're interested in, I'm like, I will never do a deal with this person. Right. Because I realized like, oh, mm-hmm. we don't, we're just not aligned. Uh, but to give you an example on my first deal. So I met with TJ, you know, and then he ended up uh, getting a call from a broker on a deal. And then he called me about it. And then we basically just kept at it and uh, got it under contract together and from there on, we started raising funds. It was our first deal. It was super, super challenging because we have never raised money before. We had no idea how to raise money. Uh, so we had to raise $2 million. And then we brought in a third partner in the middle of it. And uh, on that partner, we did more deals together as well. He was He's great. Uh, his name's Juan Cordoba. But that's how we did it, basically. We got our first deal, closed it. Right after we close it, the first deal is usually, you know, the, the hardest because you have to learn all these different things in the middle of the deal, like how to raise money, how to, you know, like just deal with all the different investors and the documents and all that stuff. And you have to learn it while you go. You can't really learn it outside. It's, it's very difficult to learn it when you haven't done a deal. So we did that first deal. After closing it, um, there was another broker that I kept looking at deals from and we kind of built a very good relationship. And, uh, and, you know, that's because my background is a real estate broker. And so for me to build relationships with other brokers is very, very easy. So I built a relationship with him. He sent me this $30 million deal and we were competing with multiple people on it. It was a great asset and uh, a really, really good location mm-hmm. in Dallas. And so, you know, he sent me the deal and he's like, listen, I will, if you decide to go through with this deal, uh, you know, I will give you the chance to do it. But I just want to let you know, you're not tested. I mean, you've done a $6 million deal. 
this is a $30 million deal. You've never raised this much money before. So if I give you a shot, I'll have to put my name right on the line for you. And if I do that and you don't close on the deal, then that will, that will make me look very bad and we will never do mm -hmm. another deal again. We'll never do another deal again. And he's like, we do half of the business in Dallas. And so, so for me, uh, you know, to, to, to hear that, I'm like, listen, I, if we go through with this property and it's a great property, uh, if we go through with this, we better perform. And, and I remember we had many, many complications in the middle of it, but it doesn't matter. If you tell people you're going to perform and the deal is great, the deal underwrites well, then you just have to figure it out. You know, there's no excuse really. Um, after we closed on that deal in December of 2021, I stayed out of the market for six months in 2022 because I felt like quarter one and quarter two were way overpriced. Uh, and they were. Mm -hmm. After interest rates went up, I went back into the market and we did uh, another deal for uh, 12.8 12 uh, initially, then we negotiated down to 12.1. But the point is on that deal, again, we had many, many, many problems, but the deal always made sense and the numbers looked great and they got better and better with time. And so we performed, you know, it was, it was probably the most one of the most challenging times in business for me I've, I've ever had because financing was difficult. Raising equity was difficult. Yeah. There were so many times where the banks tried to renegotiate and then we had to pull out and we had to find creative ways, right, to get the deal done. But at the end of the day, again, there's no excuse. You know, if you tell somebody you're going to perform and the deal makes sense, you have to perform. And so that's what we ended up doing. We closed on it a few weeks ago and, and now here we are. We're looking for the next ones. Um, in my opinion, I think 2023 is probably going to be one of the best years for real estate investors, especially multifamily, to be going all in because there will be a lot of deals where people will have to sell. And if you could find those deals and underwrite conservatively and not over leverage, like maybe between 50 to 65% in leverage, then you could be setting yourself up very, very well over the next few years. So next year in 2023, we're going all and we're going 100%. And I've worked super hard in the past, but I'm going to work even harder this year in order to make sure that we get as many transactions as possible. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, of course, asset management is going to be the key to determine the project going to perform or not. And of mm -hmm. course, I understand TJ is covering that very well. Um, yep. How do you see in general, because you just touched on the big market, um, how do you see in terms of, you know, uh, cap rate compression? Um, yeah. Or I mean, expect, uh, expansion, actually. So yeah, yeah, yeah. The uh, price is going to get softened. How, how, how do you see other uh, sponsors going to, you know, do and and how are we going to tackle that? So the, the reality is whenever you're underwriting a deal, whenever you're looking at a deal, you should always expect that the market will soften. So in, uh, in the deals that we do, we generally put that the market will soften by 15 to 20%, right? Uh, by the time we sell. And that's basically to kind of like put down a bad case scenario. If the market was to soften, can I still double an investor's money? And if the answer is no, then I will not do the deal because I want to be able to double investors' money every three to five years. And so that's kind of my criteria when I'm looking at a deal. But having said that, mm -hmm. um, you have to be able to choose the right markets 
And you have to be very specific about not just what market, but also what type of asset that you're investing in. Um, just to kind of give you an example, when we're looking at markets, I want to see population growth because, you know, if there's a lot of population growth, they're just not building real estate fast enough to cover the demand. So that's when you see appreciation. That's where you see rent growth. So I want to see population growth. I want to see rent growth. I want to see appreciation. I also want to see a landlord friendly state. That's why you'll not see me invest in Washington. You'll not see me invest in Oregon because those states um, have laws that are anti anti-landlord and very pro-tenant, which don't fit our business model that well. And so after I choose a state, then I want to choose a neighborhood that has a lot of demand. So the neighborhoods that have a lot of demand, I'm not investing in low-income areas. I want to invest in, in, in markets that have in neighborhoods that have $40,000 a year of income or higher. I want to see, again, a lot of demand, a lot of appreciation, a lot of rent growth. If you invest in those type of neighborhoods, right, you're the chances of you getting hit by a recession, obviously everybody would get hit if there's a recession, but the, the truth is the effect it would have on you is far less than if you were out in the middle of nowhere, you know, maybe in a tertiary market that nobody really knows about. And if the market goes down, everybody will flee that market. Or if there's one job or one industry there, if that industry goes down, then the whole market tanks. So you want to avoid those markets. So anytime I'm doing a deal, I want it to be in a primary market. I want it to be in a high income area neighborhood and I want to make sure that the asset is insulated. And so what I mean by that is if you think about the different asset types, there's an A class asset, then there's a B class, then there's a C class. C class is built like before 1975. Those tend to be the lower income tenants, right? Lower income neighborhoods. So I am avoiding those type of properties. I'm avoiding C class properties. I'm also avoiding A-class properties, especially during times like this. And the reason behind that is because if you live in an A-class property, your payment, maybe your monthly uh, rental is about $2,000 a month. If there's a recession and you can't make as much money anymore or you have to switch jobs, you might think, you know what, instead of living at this A-class property, maybe I want to go down and pay $1,500 a month yeah, for a slightly nice. older property, right? Downsize. So I'm investing right now on in B-class property because I believe B-class is the most insulated. Because if you live in a B-class property, you know, maybe your income is fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year. You really don't want to go and live in a, you know, in an area that has twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 of income. So you'll stay in that B-class property. And also, if you live in an A-class, you might migrate down to a B-class property because the payment is too high on a newer building. So that's why I'm focused not just on investing in the right market and where there's a lot of demand, but also in asset types that will have the most demand from renters and most demand from investors in the future when I sell the property. Awesome. Awesome. And advice, uh, you know, most of our audience really are just trying to get into um, real estate. Would would you advise them to, uh, and I, of course you touch on the scale already, uh, but would you uh, say they should just start looking for, you know, the 60 plus units, 80 plus units or whatnot, even without any experience? Like, because really, if that is where they yeah. are, you know, you know, starting from, would would you recommend them to do that? So my recommendation is, I'll just tell you what I did, right? When I started, obviously I had a lot of experience because I was already in the real estate industry. And so I've analyzed literally thousands of deals. I, I knew what markets to look for. I knew what markets to avoid based on my experience as a real estate broker. 
And so that helped me out a lot when it came to choosing the right markets. Um, so that kind of makes it a little bit of an unfair comparison because I already had years of experience in that area. But, but if you're just starting and you're brand new, my recommendation is this. You want to educate yourself as much as possible. You want to make sure that you spend a lot of time around other people who are way more experienced, who have had a successful track record and just learn from them. Find out what are, what are they doing? Why are they doing what they're doing? How are they choosing properties? How are they choosing markets? Because if they've been successful for a long time, they're successful for a reason. And you don't want to try to figure out everything from right. scratch, um, you know, especially if you're going into larger properties. That's number one. The second thing I would recommend, besides learning from people by emulating them, is to invest your own money into other people's deals. Because when you do that, when you invest in other people's deals, you start to understand you know, what's actually happening on these properties. You understand what type of communication other investors will, will have. And so then you could basically say, look, I've invested in this deal. I didn't like this. I'm never going to do it this way in my, in my own deals. But I did like how they did this other thing. So I'm going to copy their style on this other thing. And so when you invest in enough properties with other people, you, you start getting a lot of data that you just don't get if you were just from the outside. So I would say educate yourself as much as possible by finding people who are more successful where you want to be in the next few years. Learn from them. If you have to pay them, pay them, right? That matter. And then the other thing is invest passively in deals. And then the third thing, if you're doing your first deal and you're not experienced, right? You could bring in an experienced partner. And even if you give them the majority of the deal, it doesn't matter. The point is that experienced partner will be able to teach you a lot of things. And then on the second, third, fourth deal, you could do the deal with, without that experienced partner, or maybe someone who's less experienced who takes a smaller cut. But the point is, if you bring in an experienced partner, if they can help you avoid one problem, that one problem could save you hundreds of thousands of dollars or even millions of dollars, depending on the size of the property. Exactly. So that, that would be my recommendation. Awesome. So education is basically the bottom line. However, you want to learn it, learn, uh, get it first before you move on to larger deal because real estate compared with other assets is illiquid. And if you tie it into a large asset, you either thrive, thrive with it or you sink with it. Yep, 100%. And that illiquidity, by the way, just to touch on that, because a lot of people see the fact that real estate is not as liquid, meaning that if I want to sell a property, it's going to take 60 days just for escrow to close. And then it might take us a month or two months to find a buyer. So it might be a four month process before we get the money. And people might see that as a negative thing. But the truth is, that's actually a positive in real estate. And here's why. Because when, when it's illiquid like that, it creates market imperfections. It creates gaps in the market mm -hmm. that if you understand how to find deals, right, how to find the right properties, you'll be able to find better deals than if you were on, in the stock market. Because in the stock market, let's say I'm trying to buy a Tesla stock. Everybody knows what that Tesla stock is worth at any given time. They could buy it and sell it at that exact price. And so when you're investing, you're just obviously you're hoping it goes up or maybe you're hoping it goes down if you're, if, you're, if you're negative on the stock, whatever. But the point is in real estate, when you're buying a, a deal, you know nobody really knows for sure how much the other bidders might be bidding or if there's any other bidders on the table. And so that, that imperfection could help you find better deals. Inefficiencies, exactly, could help you find better deals if you know how to source them correctly. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome, awesome. Um, well, um, Abbas, 
for people who are uh, getting started, how uh, or uh, you know, if if people wanted to look look you up and trying to learn more about you, what you do, how can people find yeah. you? Yeah, I would say that, you know, we go back to our main point, and that is education. So we provide a lot of free educational webinars every week. I also have a free ebook that teaches people how to buy multifamily real estate. And we're not selling anything. All this stuff is completely free because I want to help people learn all the things that took me a lot of time to learn. And if I could, if I could teach you the things that took me five, six years to learn in, in, in like, you know, one month, then all of a sudden now you could you could gain all that experience very quickly. So um, the best way I would say is get our free ebook. And the way you do that is you go on our website. It's modelequity.com forward slash free book. Modelequity.com forward slash free book. If you get that ebook, you'll learn how, how to find the right markets, how to find uh, how to find the right partners, how to raise money, um, how to uh, you know build relationships with brokers, and just how to analyze deals. What is cap rate? What is NOI? All that different things. How do you raise the income of a property? Because again, the value of the property is based on its income. So if you're interested in that, you just go to the website modelequity.com forward slash free book. Download it. It's completely free. Awesome. How about social media? Are you on social media? I'm everywhere, man. Uh, uh, if they go on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, uh, LinkedIn, whatever, it's all the same. It's Abbas Mohammed, A-B-B-A-S, and then Mohammed, M-O-H-A-M-M-E-D. They could find me everywhere. And we actually just hired a video editor because uh, I wanted to take our content that we're posting to the next level. So we're going to be a lot more on social media going forward. Perfect, perfect. Um do you have a books that you would recommend uh, people to read? Books that people could read. Um, I mean, it depends on what they want to read about. I'll tell you some of my favorite books uh, that have helped me a lot in life in general. Number one is Whatever It Takes by Stephen Schwartzman. I read this book back when uh, I was, I didn't even know what multifamily was back in the day, right? I was very, very early on into real estate. So Stephen Schwartzman built Blackstone, if you know uh, Blackstone, and they have mm -hmm. right, right now they have about eight hundred and fifty billion dollars of assets under management, and so um, in, in in his book he explains what he had to do and how much pain he had to go through in order to build that company and to start it out and everything. So whatever it takes is a phenomenal book. Another book I really like is Good to Great, you know, by Jim Collins, probably again one of the best books I've read. Um, so I like those type of books. You know, I I read. Sometimes sales books, marketing books, and all these different things. But these things kind of change over time very, very quickly. But I, I like the timeless principles of business books because business is going to be the same whether it's now or in a hundred years. But the marketing and the sales and all that stuff will change every single day. Yeah, yeah, awesome advice. Um, I really appreciate your times uh, coming to our show today. And if you're listening right now, you must have learned a lot from the valuable content advice has been pouring into our episode today. Um, if you are interested in getting into multifamily, reach out to Abais. Um, he has a, a, a free ebooks for you to read all that. And of course, um, tune in to our um, podcast. Um, in every episode, we invite people who have done extraordinary things in their life. Abais, thanks again yeah. for coming to our, to our podcast today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been great. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. And, Bye. Uh, see you next time.